Hello and welcome to Sounds Like a Plan, a podcast all about how the music world is taking action in the climate crisis. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Greg Cochran. I'm a journalist and podcaster. And I'm Faye Milton. I'm the co-founder of Music Declares Emergency and a musician with the band Savages. This time on Sounds Like a Plan, we are taking a closer look at recorded music from vinyl to streaming, hearing about the environmental impact and what the future might hold. Yep, our guest is someone super passionate and knowledgeable in this area, an independent record label boss, Nigel Adams. Yes, and after we hear from Nigel, we'll also leave you with some recommendations. So let's get into the podcast. Faye, you've said it a bunch of times throughout the podcast episodes so far. Um, Almost always the first thing that people ask about, or maybe the first thing that people think about when it comes to music and its relationship to the climate and ecological emergency is touring and more specifically the carbon footprint of international flights. Mm. And sure, if we were going to group together all the big challenges the music world faces, it is up there as one of the biggies. But Something spoken about less is recorded music, um, from vinyl to cassettes, CDs to streaming. Um, why do you think that is? Because as we're going to talk about um, in this episode, it, it's a big deal as well, isn't it? It's, it's totally different, but it's also another really big deal. Yeah, I mean, I think it's because we, we think about like physical music, like vinyl, CDs, etc. We mm. sort of think of it as these amazing things, which they are. I, I mean, I had this sort of wake up moment where I realized that vinyl was made of plastic. <laughs> I know that's mm. really obvious, but in my mind, I just had never put those two things together that basically we're buying and selling plastic. And it's the same with all formats, basically. Mm. So, yeah, it's, there's something in the mind that just doesn't quite link those things together. But just because they're, they, what they carry is, is so much more than what the format you know, f- is physically made of. And that's what we primarily mm. think of. But yeah, just lumps of plastic, basically. Yeah. And, and it might sound like um, Faye and I rock up each week here on the podcast and just start chatting, but we do put research into making each of these podcasts. And what is really startling is when it comes to talking about recorded music and its impact on the environment, there's not much out there. Like if you sort of hunt around looking for research in this area that there hasn't been a lot which I think also contributes to that that thing of it being less spoken about because mm. it's just that there's not an enormous amount of knowledge out there about it it's definitely not been looked into as deeply as other parts of the industry that's for sure I think yeah for sure and I think with the industry being very in it being in this very sort of delicate place with physical formats for quite a long time obviously because mm. of streaming people haven't really wanted to rock the boat and you know it's like oh probably shouldn't mention that that we're selling loads of plastic here because Mm. we're actually trying really hard to sell this plastic so that we can keep the bands going and keep record labels going etc etc so it's it is a tricky topic and I think there's a huge gray area as well around um, streaming that people are often asking about and there's some people think streaming is the most polluting thing you can do in the entire world and that's and buying physical formats is much better some people think physical formats should be got rid of completely and we should just be streaming so it's there isn't a sort of easy answer Mm. really i think um before we get into the conversation that we've recorded with this week's guest a quick mention uh about how you can stay in touch with us at Sounds Like a Plan. We are on Instagram. We are at Sounds Like a Plan podcast and also on email. If you want to send us a longer correspondence, we are Sounds Like a Plan podcast at gmail.com. But 
Shall we introduce this week's guest, Faye? Yes, let's. Cool. So in the world of running record labels, Nigel Adams is an experienced voice. He is involved with the running of not one but two independent record labels, Hassle Records and Full Time Hobby, who have released music from artists including Dana Gavinsky, Otis, Tongue, School of Seven Bells and many, many others. Um, As you're about to hear, he is very interested in issues of sustainability and has been for more than a decade and he's translated that passion into his work with labels that he runs and he's also a member of the Association of Independent Music's Climate Action Group and I believe, Faye, you'll be able to tell me if this is right, Nigel's involved with Music Declares Emergency, is that right? Absolutely, he's a he's a yeah. co, co-founder of Music Declares Emergency, stalwart. Brilliant, brilliant. So um, Nigel is very clear and very passionate on this topic. So let's hear from him. This is Nigel Adams on Sounds Like a Plan. Nigel, it's great to have you on Sounds Like a Plan. We thought this time on the podcast, it'd be great to talk in a bit more depth about recorded music. Um, And I wondered if you could start by telling us a little bit more about your record label involvement, so full-time hobby and hassle records, and your passion for sustainability, and just a bit about your background in that area. Sure. So I've been working in the music industry now for about 25 years. And for about 16 of those, I've been running my own label with my partner, Wes, Um, as you say, full-time hobby and hassle. And I've always been interested in environmental concerns, but I think I'd kind of seen them as separate from my daily work. I'd kind of gone through the process of thinking about a lot of things in my personal life, but hadn't brought those into work for some reason. I'd done bits and pieces, like in, in 2010, there was the 10 for 10 campaign that what is now possible set up and you know I got involved in that and just little things like making sure that we were cutting out you know uh, single-use plastics in the office or better energy tariffs and things but hadn't really connected it all together in my mind and then in 2014 I I really thought I've, I've got to kind of dig in more to this if I do really believe this is an issue so I got myself on a course with the Royal Institute into climate science. I, I just okay. wanted to connect and find out a bit more and just, just see, you know, what, what the grounding was. And so it was a six week short course, you know, just as a, as a kind of layperson, go along and, and learn the details. And as the course went on, I got more and more terrified about what I was learning. You know, they really kind of, mm high-level lecturer talking about it in very plain terms but when you started putting it together it was like why isn't everybody talking about this it, it was just absolutely mm. staggering and um, particularly learning about things like positive feedback loops and you know so when snow and ice start to disappear you know the 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 sun's energy is going into the black of the water or the ground and how that's going to heat things up and how it could just flip you know I didn't know these things and so putting together my kind of basic interest in the environment and then these high-level concerns, it, it, I really started to get more engaged. And then that built up until what happened with Extinction Rebellion. I saw on, on the, you know, 2018, as a lot of people did, I saw what they did on the bridges and it just went, mm. yes, that's it. This is what's got to happen. And I'd, I'd said... I'd always thought to myself, if, if, if this is true, if, if things are so severe, why isn't everybody out in the streets? Why aren't people screaming about this? And suddenly people were, and it made sense. And it was just like, 
it felt like a relief in a way that I wasn't kind of losing my mind. <laughs> um, so, so that was a real trigger. And, and then almost did kind of like an audit of my life. I went through every aspect of um, how I lived and how I could change it. And knowing, knowing that that wasn't the total answer, but I just felt like if I really believed this, it should just flow from that. And so I started to look at everything in my life through that lens. On a personal level, it meant getting rid of my car, getting uh, solar panels, getting a battery for that, going vegan, you know, all, all those aspects. But it just felt like the natural thing to do. If I really cared about this, that would happen. And, th and then the next level, having done that, was kind of the business. How can we do it? You know, mm. do I mean this? Do I really mean this? And if I do, bring it into, into our work. And I think I'd all, always been a bit reticent because, I don't know, the nature of the music industry. Possibly, I, I didn't see other people who I identified with maybe doing the same thing or standing up and talking about it. And I was a bit scared, maybe, you know. I didn't feel I could put my, my head above the parapet. And then with mm. all this coming together, I felt like I could. And connecting with people like Faye with Music Declares Emergency suddenly integrated it and... I felt this strength to, you know, go into the company and start changing every bit that I could. Mm. And what were some of those things that immediately you, you, you jumped on when it comes to, to running a record label? I mean, you mentioned earlier about eliminating things like single use plastics. You've done that kind of you know, a few years previously. But I mean, that sounds like it could have been a real challenge to really front up to some of those parts of the business that, that were at odds with what you were learning about. Yeah, I mean, when, when, we, when I was making those changes, that was kind of back in... 2008 maybe into 2010 when you know the Copenhagen uh, agreement was going on and all those things and um, we were renting office space so I was asking the people who were renting space you know could we stop having all this bottled water could we change the energy tariff and I think some people thought I was a bit of a pain in the ass maybe I'm a pain in the ass but uh, I just kept asking about these things and wanting to keep going. I was the only one and it was like, you know, come on, let's do this, let's change it. And I just didn't feel any support in the wider society to kind of help me stand up and say this stuff. It felt so kind of compartmentalised. And then things happened like Julie's Bicycle, who I'd kind of been aware of, put out a report in 2009 about something simple like jewel cases for CDs. And they were like, card packaging is like 95% less emissions and actually jewel cases are polystyrene and they're not recyclable and I was like oh wow why, why had I never thought about that I've always mm. thought about the music industry as magic and you know it's leave it alone it's got nothing it's got no impact on anything it's just a special magic place but then I thought oh <laughs> well why don't we change it and actually it was a bit more expensive but I thought well let's just change it and they look better anyway I've always thought jewel case was a pretty crap product <laughs> you're right <laughs> so, so we changed it and it looked really nice and then we started doing things like um, a book pack so it's like a, a hard kind of card cover and then you could put a book in there and the artist could put more words or they could put imagery and we could make it a really nice thing so it's not just a throwaway item it's like something you want to hold on to so we did that so we've been doing we've done that for 17 years or whatever kept kept that rolling and then like I say latterly looking at other things like LPs so we've tried with some of them of using recycled materials so it's not actually recycled vinyl it's um, the pellets or the offcuts that come from pressing virgin vinyl but it is you know it's spilling and it's getting used and they can 
re-put that and press those so you get a kind of really interesting mix of colors or you know really random um but it's it's fine it's perfectly good vinyl and it's getting reused that was one thing you know can we use recycled stock in the card can we do without shrink wrap i mean it was people have conversations about this and it gets pretty boring but it's just like you know we didn't always have shrink wrap so we started using overbags so it is a little bit heavier it seems counterintuitive but it protects the vinyl and actually it's there for the life of the vinyl so we figured that you know that was a better way of approaching that all sorts of other things like 140 gram vinyl versus 180 gram um it's only a little bit of weight but actually we've been pressing all our, our records as heavy as possible because it was cool and everybody thought it was a better product but actually when you look at it it isn't so just make mm. it lighter and that's saving a little bit but over thousands of records that all adds up and does that does that feed into the the cost and emissions involved in transporting it and, and shipping them out to people as well absolutely yeah obviously a, a lighter product is um is cheaper to ship less emissions involved in all of the transport mm. and transport again that was you know something else we've been looking at doing direct shipments so you're pressing a record in germany can we just deliver directly to our warehouse in germany so mm. it seems like a small thing but you can save quite a lot of road miles but obviously brexit has kind of caused a lot of issues i don't want to sidetrack us but loads of that issue so people are now having to bring everything back into this country and back out because of that mm. so um scrapping stock is is something we've been looking very closely at it's kind of the record industry's dirty secret really is destructions and overstocks for listeners nigel that means that when you've basically got vinyl that's not been sold that comes back to the distributor or the label and what gets done with that exactly yeah it's uh, i think it's something that everybody should talk about more but people don't want to talk about it because it maybe seems like your artist wasn't successful or you know right you didn't do a good job in terms of overpressing but in truth everybody has overstocks and it's a real issue and it's mm. something that i think actually if the record industry really tackled it it could cut out a lot of emissions for example, I was talking to a company that I know that do recycling for the music industry and a major label or distributor have been in touch to get rid of 7 million units very quickly. So wow. it gives you an understanding of the kind of quantities that are going through the systems. Mm. So we looked at who was actually recycling our stock. How were they doing it? Was it being done well? How could we look at... Um, the, the pressing of the records are we why are we getting overstocks uh, are we maybe you know not thinking clearly enough about what we're pressing or where the stock's going just trying to think a little bit more clearly and maybe paying a little bit more to make a shorter run and then going and make another run later on and all these little things that are a bit of a hassle but actually when you start thinking about it it's not a big problem mm. Mm. It's part of it about what the consumer expects as well. You expect to order a record and have it immediately, whereas maybe if things weren't pressed in such large quantities, you might have to wait a few weeks to have the the order through. Or is there anything a record buyer could sort of take into account with this? I, I think there's a, there's a lot to that, Faye. I also think um, things like chart place expectancy. So, you know, if you're really got to get that chart place then you're going to overproduce because you've got to get all the stock out for that first week and it may mm. just be sitting in one of the big chain stores as a consignment waiting to get bought it never gets bought 
and you did that just because you were going for that chart position. But actually, if you maybe relax about that a little bit, you're going to sell the same or maybe more records over time and just let that mm. happen. I always remember talking to someone about a label like Drag City and they would just supply what they thought was necessary and then stock would come through and they weren't hung up. You know, they, they were doing hundreds of thousands of records for someone like Joanna mm. Newsom, but they were just making available what they felt and what they could afford. And actually, if people can start getting their heads around that a little bit, I think definitely that, that's, um, mm. that's part of it. This is maybe a naive question, Nigel, but I'm certainly kind of educating about myself about this stuff as we go along recycling a piece of vinyl that's overstock like wh wh where does it go and what happens to it and, and can it actually be recycled because obviously vinyl you know i suppose we can get into the kind of the technicals a bit but you know vinyls obviously derived from um in some cases in a lot of cases certainly in the past like crude oil that's then changed that's then basically turned into a, the plastic material that we then familiar as vinyl so what how can it be recycled where does it go what happens to it just i've no idea so for example an lp would get ground down into smaller parts and then used in in all sorts of things like um car parts you know like the um the fasciers mm -hmm. for for um uh, the inside of a car or okay. for roads or for cutlery you know all those kind of things pvc is is quite <laughs> a, a, a useful you know it's a fairly toxic plastic which is really upsetting but it can be used in lots of ways and it can be reused quite quite easily um, mm. The idea of actually regrinding a record and making another record is something that I don't believe has really been tackled yet. I know there are people looking at it, but I, I mean, that would be the ideal situation. But I mm. think mm. They, they can be quite easily recycled in that sense. CDs are a little bit more tricky because you've got polycarbonate and you've got um, the aluminium in there. So it has to be, someone has to be very specialist in splitting it up. So as a kind of, a, a just an individual, you couldn't go and get your CD recycled. But as a bigger company, if you've got a, the right amount, you can go and get that done. And again, that can be reused in lots of different ways. The thing about CDs as well, you know, I've been learning about this as well, but polycarbonate is actually not as toxic a plastic as PVC. And CDs can have a life of 50, 100 years. They're lighter. Mm. So actually, you know, I know a lot of people are down on CDs and CD sales aren't there, but actually it's not a bad format. There may well be a CD revival at some point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you, are you predicting that, Nigel? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I was talking to another label the other day and the, the owner of that label said to me, well, you know, what's wrong with CDs? I think they're great. They sound great. They're pretty small. They, you know, you can make them look really nice. So, you know, what's your space? <laughs> when you were sort of educating yourself about this stuff, Nigel, I mean, our podcast is really, a lot of the focus is on what's happening in the present and what the like future solutions look like, the kind of progress that people are making across the music industry in, in all areas. But did you sort of have a moment of thinking about music's kind of historic um, contribution to the environment when we think about some of these physical products, the, the, the probably billions of pieces of vinyl and CDs that have been sold over the decades and just how that has had an effect on the environment? Or do you prefer to just concentrate on the present and think about what happens next? Yeah, I do. I do 
prefer to concentrate on the present and the future because I think if I thought too much about the past, it would depress me and I'd probably give up. But, mm. you know, it has been a very energy intensive industry in those respects that, you know, if you look back to the history of going from shellac to then going to PVC and the amount of oil that was used and, you know, these presses that still make our records now are the same presses that, you know, it's the same design that's been around for 100 years. So they're incredibly energy intensive and they're steam driven hydraulic presses, which seems crazy. I mean, oh, there yeah. are now, you know, they're, they're finding ways of reusing the steam and heating the, the factories and those kind of things. But yeah, mm. no, absolutely. If you look back at history, the, this book, I mean, if you want to dig deeper, anybody listening to this wants to dig deeper, decomposed the political mm. uh, ecology of music is well worth a read. It, it, I mean, it can be quite dense at times but if you keep going it's uh, it's worth a read and goes into the history of it who's that book by it's uh, by kyle divine it's really worth a read because it does you do feel a bit of a, a curtain being lifted on on the way you kind of think about the music industry it's a real it's it's an, an opening um but yeah in term in terms of the history Yes, you know, there have been a lot of emissions and, um, you know, it's the rich West that have been mainly producing this at the uh, expense of the poorer, you know, uh, East and Global South, uh, which I think is an issue. And I think, you know, that's got to be addressed like it has in in the the politics of the climate crisis generally. Mm. I think going forward, I think like, like fashion and fast fashion, I think we do need to explore... The, the way we make things and the way we distribute things and the way we act as a business generally, I think that's really important. But I think that goes for every industry. I think every industry has got to look at the nuts and bolts of how it operates and ask itself some questions. And I think that's that's one of the interesting things because every industry, it seems, is doing that. And the music industry certainly is, is starting to do that. But you, you hear of all of innovation across so many different industries, which is, in in a way, that makes me feel less terrified of the problem as a whole because it feels like there's so much work that people are doing in different areas it's almost like everyone's like heads down doing something and you look up and you're like oh great you're doing this over there it's just a race against time I think at the moment isn't it absolutely I agree and and that is one of the great things about people talking more and communicating more about this issue particularly within industries you start to realize that actually a lot of people do care about these things and there Mm. are lots of positive moves being made but I don't think we should get lost in the minutiae of that sometimes. You know, it, it's like anything, it's trying to balance the, um, the local and the global, isn't it? And keep moving forward. Yeah. I'm interested to know, from a, from a record label perspective, Nigel, what um, are some of the nuances in the sort of discussion around physical product versus streaming? There's this sort of sense that people think that streaming has come along and it's this environmentally friendly alternative to, to the development of phys- physical product like vinyl and CDs, but it's not quite as, as straightforward as that, is there? I mean, we, we had Jamie Oban from um, from Dirty Hit on the podcast a few episodes ago and he, he was talking about how he'd like to get rid of the physical product altogether, but I mean, you know, he sort of, sort of laughed at himself for suggesting that, but that, that was just where his mind was taking him. But what are some of the nuances when it comes to that? Because it's, it's not quite as straightforward forward as the physical versus this new green opportunity with streaming is it 
No, absolutely. Um, I think for a long time people thought that. People imagined that with streaming particularly we'd entered this age of dematerialised kind of music industry and, and it was great, it was it was the saviour. And, you know, I, I love streaming like anybody, but, it, you know, when you dig back into it and you look at how energy intensive it is, it's quite stunning. The, the server farms that are used to um, stream music are incredibly energy intensive and I know a lot of companies are doing great things in terms of making sure they're powered by renewables but there's so many links in the chain that go from you know hosting that piece of music to you listening to it on your device and there's also issues with the devices you know it's like if you're changing your phone every year that's got to be worse than hundreds of LPs surely with the amount of materials and energy that's gone into producing that so it's definitely not blameless um some of the statistics I've been looking at were saying things like, actually, if you imagine that you would stream an album 27 times or more, I don't know how they got that the specific mm. of that, you might be better to buy a physical record. And if you actually think about it, if you've got a collection of records and say you're on a, a green tariff or you've got a renewable energy source at home, you know, you listening to that record, you are not then generating more emissions. Whereas if you're streaming then you continue to do so. So if that is a record that you really connect with, then either download it to your device and listen that way because there's less links to the chain or just, you know, listen to your LP um, or buy a, a CD. I think it's one of those topics where somebody needs to take like six months off to write a thesis <laughs> and really, really dive into it because like you say, it, it really can get, it gets very kind of like mathematical of just try, trying to you know to fundamentally um dig down into how these different formats contribute you're sort of measuring different things aren't you um so quite tricky but just important to recognize that pretty much everything has a contribution of some some sort when it when it comes to servers we did a bit of a deep dive on it when we um relaunched our music declares emergency website because we asked our um, web developer a very simple question of oh well which server uses renewable energy we want to use that one mm. and so he did a, a bit of research into it and he actually wrote a really interesting blog post but um, as far, I'm going to explain it as far as I understand it which is not a technical solution but as I understand it it's if you're Amazon or Apple or Spotify or any you know any big um, server sort of host and you want to run everything off renewable energy you put your money into renewable energy and you get whatever you get from the grid that's how the grid works as one big you know everything goes into that pot and you get out what you get out so if in the area where the server is kept there's a huge amount of renewable energy then it's likely that that energy source it is going into the server will be from renewables but if it's not like it isn't in a lot of places then you have to like buy these tokens it's these weird sort of international global renewable energy tokens where you're almost sort of making the intention of buying this renewable energy even though it doesn't exist and they're quite cheap to buy so you you kind of pay for these tokens that give you this kind of thing to say you can be renewable but actually the reality is you're using the grid and the grid is whatever percent um, fossil fuel based and whatever percent renewable based whatever the grid is in the area where the servers are kept so it's which for me this is why it leads back and, and one of our main things of MDE is is to really push for governmental change and sort of that high up change needed to 
make sure that all of our energy is renewable and that's available to Spotify, to Apple, to Amazon, to whoever's hosting. Because if it's not available, it's not available. If they're using these huge amounts of energy, which is so that you can access the music on demand, they need to keep those hard drives whirring around. Yeah, it, we just need more renewable energy available. And I don't know if that's like a terrible way of explaining, but that's how I, I've understood it from the research that um, our web developer did in looking into how we ran our new website. So welcome, I welcome complaints on me getting that wrong, but it's something along those lines. <laughs> It, it feels like we, we just need more knowledge, don't we? I think if, if everybody's provided with more knowledge about the machinations of how things are happening, you can make a more of an informed choice. Um, and it feels like we're starting that process. It's, it's really mm. interesting to go back again to that book, Decomposed. He talks about the energy intensity of different kind of formats of music. And he's saying that although physical music sales dropped massively between the year 2000 and 2016, the actual kind of energy intensity went up massively because of the, you know, the, the energy that streaming and downloading was using. So if you compare it in that way, rather than just like this one uses oil and this one doesn't, it becomes a bit clearer. Mm. Yeah. I, something that was really interesting uh, was writing a piece recently that I was looking into different parts of the music industry and and I'd never really been in touch with any sort of frontline record stores before and I came across the work of Norman Records which is an independent record store based in Leeds here in the UK and they'd written a blog post recently kind of acknowledging their part in environmental issues which I'd never seen a record store do before and they, and, and and it was just so transparent and and sort of plain speaking it essentially said like you know yes we know vinyl's not been you know is not a great contributor to the environment we, we completely recognize that like we, we take responsibility for that the most environmentally friendly thing you can do is not come and even buy any vinyl from us um but it, and it got me thinking about people taking responsibility and and i thought that was a really great example of basically somewhere that could easily bury their head in the sand and say nothing and it's easier just to just to not do anything isn't it but they sort of fronted up to the issue and and, and i guess uh, my question to you nigel was like do you see an increasing amount of people doing that and and there are these odd examples of people really going like basically taking the responsibility of the urgency of the situation isn't there yeah no i i, look, I completely agree and i'd seen that also with norman and I, I i really respected that because they didn't have to do that and it was mm. it was very plain speaking and this is what we're doing and they were talking in terms of um, selling faulty stock, you know, stock that's completely playable, but maybe the, the cover's bent in some way. And I found that really inspiring. Um, and uh, I'm part of the Association of Independent Music. We started a climate group there. And we've been mm -hmm. trying to um, initiate this near mint campaign. So the idea of selling faulty vinyl and, and getting people to talk about those things in stores and take those kind of uh, ideas forward and definitely the more you talk to retailers the more you talk to other labels people do want to confront it um, they they just need everybody needs a bit of help do you know it's like um, we're all really trying to keep businesses going which is tough at the best of times in the music industry and the nature of it and taking on all this other stuff to do with the environment is is a massive hassle but I, I read a great quote somewhere about um the task that hinders your task is the task. So actually, let's dig in, let's get on with it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and, and I think people are feeling like that. And I'm seeing, you know, even simple things like buying 
mail order from a store they're now using paper tape and they're using recycled card mailers which is a simple thing but if you've sold you know 10,000 of those in the past few months and that actually adds up but it's also about the statement the statement you're making to yourself by thinking I'm going to do that and seeing that every day you know it's like a meditation on why am I doing this and it's also other mm. people seeing that and spreading the word and I think that about a lot of personal change I totally agree with what Faye's saying about really what we need is governmental change and we need the fossil fuel industries without that game over but I think all these personal changes are really important because it, it propels us. It, it gives us positivity, which is so important to keep driving any kind of movement. And it also reminds us every day of why we're doing it. And it makes us connect with other people. You know, I find real solace in that because it's easy to get really depressed about how dark it is. And actually, if we can all connect, like you, you guys are doing, this is so brilliant what you're doing. If we can do that, we can propel every, everybody forward. And then the powers that be cannot ignore us you know absolutely definitely i just wanted to go back on the the near mint campaign because i think the near mint campaign is is brilliant and when you say faulty vinyl i think it's it's important am i guessing this right it's not necessarily the vinyl's faulty it just might be like the cover's a bit bent or there's a, a bit of a kind of tear in the plastic or something that's right so particularly with lps um mm. when you're moving them around you know Everybody wants them to arrive perfect, but that's not always going to happen. They maybe aren't, haven't been boxed as well as possible. So you might get a box of 25 that have got bent, and so it's the corners bent. And, and they right now, they literally can't be sold because it is defective. It's seen as defective, whereas the LP itself is perfectly playable. Mm. And some people really care about having pristine... Um, editions and that's fine but i think there's a lot of people who don't and just want to hear the record so mm -hmm. the idea with that campaign which um has come out of those meetings those conversations we're having with distributors like republican music and some of the indie stores like resident records is is literally just to mark those down you know rather than mm -hmm. packaging them up sending them back to the distributor you've got all those extra road miles you know you've got all the hassle and then they met them might either get destroyed as landfill or they might get recycled they, they can get sold on someone gets a bit of a bargain everybody feels good about it and there's lower emissions mm -hmm. so it's a simple yeah. idea yeah. and presumably it wouldn't cost the label or the artist anymore because you've already put the money in to create those records that's right the there's going to have to be an understanding between the label and the distributor that the well the dealer price will have to come down. So so there's slightly mm. smaller amounts of money going back down the chain, but it's been sold, whereas it wouldn't have been sold. Mm. So mm. definitely, if I walked into a record store and I was like, you know, as I often do, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I don't really know what I'm going to buy when I walk in there. In a weird way, that idea sort of plays into that type of music fan. Like if I saw a copy that wasn't perfect, but I was like, I'm, I, I was interested to read or, you know, I've read about it and I thought, oh, I'll give that a go. Maybe I'm even more likely to take a chance on, on listening to that new artist I've maybe never heard before. Mm. Everyone Absolutely. loves a bargain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody. Oh yeah, and I'm a cheapskate. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> What's, is that happening already, Nigel, or is that something that's being introduced? Yeah, so um, Republican Music really ran with that one and they've started introducing it to their labels and to a bunch of stores that have started doing it over the past few months. I know PS mm -hmm. are doing it, Proper are looking at it. So it's kind of slowly but surely it's feeding out there. Um, and I think people are keen to do it. I do think there is additional admin. I'm not blind to the idea that this probably does create a bit more work for people. But I think it's a case of suck it and see. You know, if it works and people are buying it, then it will 
be self-perpetuating. And I've actually noticed, since we've been talking about it, I've noticed a few American labels have started to put up on their band camp. So I saw um, Thrill Jockey have started talking about it and then Temporary Residence, they reissued uh, Explosions in the Sky and they offered both versions so you could get slightly mm. damaged or a brand new for like $5 cheaper. So it's really nice mm. to see these ideas you know people are having these ideas at the same time in parallel and they're just kind of feeding through the network so brilliant i could see an entire near mint record store to be honest Absolutely. and it marketed <laughs> in that way and people come in why not yeah. why not or or a festival stall or we see it at the independent label market or something like festival that. festival stall is a great idea because the chances of getting the vinyl home without a dent in it at a festival are yeah it's going straight in your anyway. rucksack <laughs> exactly exactly um nigel a couple more things from me that uh, you mentioned the um, Association of Independent Music Climate Group. So so basically a sort of action team based within the independent music community all, all, all talking about what can be done in the industry. How has that been getting involved with that and being part, you know, kind of leading voice in that? And is that, have you seen that um, creating some positive change? That's been really exciting to be part of that. Um, again, that kind of followed on from the uh, Extinction Rebellion actions in 2019. It was a real what can we do moment. Um, and myself and Peter Quick from Ninja Tune, who obviously they're leading lights in kind of sustainability, and Jude from AIM itself, were discussing at one of the board meetings and uh, thought it would be a great great thing to get going and and lots of labels when we started talking about it wanted to get involved so there's like brownswood secretly canadian be part of it warp beggars domino and we've been tending to meet maybe once every month or two months and just talk about the issues because at the end of the day none of us are experts in 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 these you know needs for change we're all kind of learning on the job how we can be more sustainable so we we're meeting up and we're just sharing tips discussing ways of maybe talking on mass to a distributor about changes we'd like to see maybe in transport or talking on mass to um, manufacturers we have quite a lot of manufacturers come along to those meetings and we talk about better ways forward mm. key manufacturing um, for example have been really positive about that and james who leads their sustainability initiatives gets involved and really helps you know support us with that knowledge so um we're also taking part in a kind of carbon audit with Julie's Bicycle, which is another initiative that's come out of the AIM Climate Group. So we have all been basically going through all the processes of, of how we operate and Julie's Bicycle are going to top that up and kind of give us an idea of, of where, our, uh, where our emissions are highest and then, you know, move forward mm -hmm. from that. So that's, you know, one of quite a few different uh, initiatives to come out of that group be fascinated to read all about that when the, when, when the time comes to put it all together um the final question was just about um any any kind of innovation that you've seen sort of coming down down the road as so to speak like we you know i've heard about um kind of select kind of small run initiatives where um recycled plastic ocean waste for example has been turned into to new product that could be turned into vinyl and 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 and, and things like that so the technology world is and the science world is awash with people coming up with ideas but is there anything kind of coming down the road for for you working as an as an independent record label that you sort of think you know what in five years time i'd love if if that was a solution for for, for part of what i do well i know there are um various manufacturers in holland particularly who are looking at maybe how we change the actual constituents of the LP mm -hmm. because PVC is quite a toxic plastic so they're, they're looking at that and I don't think they've got there yet 
I reached out myself to a material scientist and he said, oh, why don't you go back to shellac? But you know, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily going to be a way forward. Are we popular with vegans? No, not at all. No. Uh, and that has got all its own issues. So, you know, I, it'd be great to see, you know, there's so, like you say, so much science going into material um, science at the moment. How, how can that go forward? But I also think there'll be basic, simple changes, like how can we localise more? You know, I know in touring that, that might come into it, but I also think in you know what about a set of bike couriers specifically delivering product um for say just london could we have that mm. could we have a bike courier that we just pick up maybe a group of indie labels got together and did that maybe the whole kind of reselling of vinyl um took on a form where there was a kickback to the artist or the copyright holder so there was you know you, you could really look at more of a circular economy with that um i know that rough trade and now Key are, are talking about the idea of, you know, if there really was a damaged record or something that you really couldn't resell, whether that could be handed into somewhere like that and reground and made in to LP. So there are, you know, all those kind of ideas going on. But yeah, I, I do. I, I think the music industry looking at a kind of more localised way, you know, could we have more pressing plants in this country? Can we just shrink those different chains, you know, links of the chain? How can that happen? Mm -hmm. Because I, don't, I do think vinyl and, and CD have got a life. And I, I don't think, like we've discussed, I don't think they are the worst thing. I think if you really care about an album and you're really going to listen to it, it's not a single-use plastic, is it? It's kind of something that, that can really stick around. So, how, you know, how can we tweak that? Better music, basically. <laughs> yeah, you, everyone makes really, really <laughs> classic records. <laughs> absolutely. You've, then they're going to be listened to many times. <laughs> Over to you on that one, Faye. <laughs> we shall see. Thank you to Nigel for coming on the podcast. Um, Faye, what were your thoughts on that conversation? I mean, I think Nigel's brilliant at explaining things. It's so clear, so positive, lots of positive ideas. And yeah, just he's doing so much work in, in these areas that it's it's really good to hear about. Mm. I was quite shocked at some of the stuff that he said, I must be honest, like with the fact that we are, this is not an area, as you can tell, it's not an area that I know an awful lot about. So, um, or that I'm, I'm learning about now, but the fact that the same technologies are still being used now uh, to make vinyl that were used a century mm -hmm. ago, pretty much is a surprise I found surprising. And yeah, and, and just, and just made me think that everybody in the process needs to sort of invest in the update of that. Cause it's all very well, sort of pointing the finger at places that produce vinyl factories mm. and uh, but you know there needs to be sort of investment and and pressure and research and collective sort of um conversation from labels from distributors from record stores from artists to be able to yeah. to make sure that moves right definitely and i think that's what um i mean you can look at the music industry and see what a system looks like basically i think uh, the, the mm. phrase systemic change is used quite a lot we need systemic change and it's quite like it's not always clear what that means because it's just quite nebulous but um mm. i think when you look at the system you know the music industry there's so many cogs and so many areas and the whole there's like little changes needed all over and mm. big changes and it's no sort of one person or one you know, it's not just down to artists. It's not just down to the person pressing the vinyl. It's down to the whole system to 
to shift and, and that to be a big collaboration and the big sort of everyone making that decision together. That's what systemic change is, basically, is when all of those parts sort of collaborate and move together, mm. which is, you know, you can then translate that onto the world as a whole or political systems or, you know, whatever you whatever you're looking at. Mm. And what, what I would like to see is, and I'm not sure if this is possible or would ever happen, but there is only a handful of major record labels in the world who release uh, the vast majority of the most successful music out there. And I don't know if they operate a bit like other industries, say, I don't know, maybe pharmaceuticals is a bad example, but they would have like research and development parts mm. of their company. And it feels like why are parts of the music industry not heavily investing in research and development? Um, say, for example, around, Nigel mentioned it there, like vinyl is not recycled at the moment. That's something that's like being looked into. Like, is it possible? Mm. Like, surely we need to fast track that considering the amount that gets sold every every year. Yeah, definitely. And I think some of that comes down to governments putting in legislation. And then it's, mm. you know, once the legislation's there, you, you can't be using so i don't know what the legislation would be i'm just making it up but mm. that you if policies there then you have to it just catalyzes those changes being made because people have to do mm. it we all know what it's like you've got a list of things to do and, and the ones that you have to do you do first so that's why sort of policy level stuff is really important too look like we're, we're losing them we're losing them i said policy everyone's turning <laughs> off <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just podcasts across the world, just like, oh no, they've gone, they've gone into government <laughs> policy stuff. Um, I, and the way that I sort of think about it is like the music industry is not dissimilar, say, for to, to like a supermarket, right? So they they they've got loads of goods that they sell, and they come mm. in this packaging, and then it gets to the consumer. We buy it, and then when it comes to get rid of that packaging, it's like the supermarket's like, oh well, that's not our responsibility, mm. and the consumer's like, well, I don't really have an option to do anything with it, and it just becomes this sort of holding pattern when mm. nothing has happened for a long time and everybody's sort of putting their hands up going like oh, it's not really my problem yeah and so until somebody is forced to really look at the problem then nothing's going to change yeah so and an interesting thing actually a little factoid for you um and mm -hmm. i i think this is still true is that one of the reasons that major labels can't switch away from say um plastic cd cases to mm -hmm. those nice cardboard ones that are the other option is that supermarkets refuse to stock them because their little CD racks are like set up right. for those plastic CD cases. So it's like okay. this really basic problem. If you're if you're doing you know a huge sort of major selling artist, you're going to want it to be in supermarkets because that's mm. largely where people buy CDs these days. So it's about having those. You know, the system extends beyond the music industry, right into that analogy you just did of the supermarket. Yeah. And it, that seems like a small thing, doesn't it? Like the, the example you've just given there. Mm. But the conversation with Nigel was full of small things that clearly add up. For example, he was talking about the weight of vinyl, you know, mm. switching from one to another lighter version of vinyl so that when you transport it fewer emissions and, and, and everything else like that but when you when you add all those things up it, they, they become significant mm. something re really that i had my eyes open to uh from nigel's conversation as well was this idea of overstock and stock destruction mm. that i just had no idea about he described it as like a sort of dirty secret within the music industry that feels like an area that really does need to um, to have some focus, I think, and for people to 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 um, destigmatize the conversation around that. He talked about how people don't want to 
acknowledge it because mm. it's sort of um you know maybe is an indicator of not having as much success as 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 they want and things like that but I think we need to get beyond that, don't we? Well, Greg, I'll start here. I'm literally sat next to a box of seven inches of my um, 180dB single that I put out that just, they just didn't sell on seven inch. You know, it's fine. But now I've got a box of seven inches. What am I going to do with them? I mean, you know, maybe one day there'll be a collector's item, but it's it's that thing. It just gets sent back to you from the distributor going, here you go. Mm. You're like, well, what mm. do I do with it now? It's, it's mm. No one mentions that at the start of the process. I think that's mm. one of the things you just, oh, how many should we get? Get this number. Okay, sure. And it's, it needs to be figured into the start of the conversation or because then it is annoying. I mean, record labels all around the world will have boxes and boxes and boxes of vinyl that they're paying for office space and storage mm. space to keep. And it's, you know, it's not, it gets dusty and no one likes it. Mm. I feel like um, in this episode of the podcast, we've been more doom and gloom than we have on any of the other yeah. podcasts so far but but uh, one thing that Nigel mentioned that I think is um brilliant is that near mint initiative so to encourage you know music lovers to buy imperfect vinyl like if you mm. if you're buying it because you want to listen to it then you know the fact that like the vinyl um you know the the, the sleeve. sleeve is a little yeah. bit doggy-eared or something isn't <laughs> makes not which personally speaking doesn't make any difference mm. but as we've discussed previously I am a cheapskate so if there's 10% off <laughs> I'm gonna get it um so yeah I think that's great like if um you know people can um search online for the near mint initiative i just hope that uh, at the moment it's a sort of relatively small collection of um of, of labels and distributors and, and record stores that are involved in that but if you're listening to this and you think that sounds good then just get involved because it's brilliant mm. i would say as well i think although maybe it, there are quite a lot of issues with the music industry it's there's so much space for innovation if you're mm. like a young innovator entrepreneur coming up there if you invent a format that's not polluting that's mm. going to be brilliant that's nice to buy that people enjoy buying and holding in their hands absolutely brilliant that's sustainable you're going to make billions same with if you can invent a way to do nfts without it being uh, polluting and, and using so much energy ab again absolutely brilliant like there's there's so much space for those things to be huge so there's some there's some positivity in the pipeline it's just mm. little ideas in people's heads at the moment before we leave you with some recommendations, this is the uh, final episode of series one of Sounds Like a Plan. And it has been incredible. Um, firstly, to all of you who've listened, uh, thank you so much the emails and the comments that you've sent have been so encouraging um don't be a stranger like i said before please do follow us um on instagram sounds like a plan podcast and we'll be carrying on posting updates there and if you do want to give us a temporary parting gift as we say by for the moment then you can rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening to this that all really does help in people discovering the podcast and i've just learned so much from from doing this the, the past couple of months um apart from ed o'brien from radiohead's boris johnson impression <laughs> Faye, what what have been some of the highlights for you if you if you, you what yeah what have your main takeaways been from the last couple of months of making this podcast i've really enjoyed your relentless cold play references <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i can't get through a podcast without mentioning chris martin can i and i've and i've failed once again <laughs> yeah i mean i definitely i've i found them all really inspiring to be honest i definitely can be used uh, chatting mm. to him about um getting involved in community like gardening and, and ecological projects 
just made me want to do that immediately. And it's always great to talk to Melvin as well. He's such a positive person and, and in a way from such a different world, even though he's in mm. the music world. Um, really great to sort of spar a little bit with him as well. Mm. Yeah, what, what have been some of yours? Uh, Heidi Lemfer, talking mm. about future energy artists. I just, when we were, that was actually the first ever conversation we recorded for this podcast. And um, I knew within about two minutes of speaking to Heidi that, that the music world was going to be full of brilliant positive solutions when it comes mm. to the climate crisis because i just think future energy artists if you've not listened back to the episode yet please do check it out it's such an ingenious initiative um that i just think is transferable all around the world could do so much good and is only at the very beginning it, it sort of symbolizes what i think about lots of this stuff and that is that we've barely scratched the surface i think there's just so much more to be done and so that episode that conversation pretty much sums up how i feel about so much of this i think mm. um but like you say they've all been great and ed o'brien's boris johnson impressions will <laughs> haunt me forever um before we go should we leave listeners with some recommendations have you, have you got something fair you want to shout out yeah absolutely um i would love to give a shout out to switchit.money um mm -hmm. that's a website you can go on and you can type in your bank and it will tell you how bad your bank is at polluting, basically. It's, it will tell you um, how your bank rates at um, investing in fossil fuels. So, for example, mm -hmm. I still currently bank with Barclays. You type it in, it's like, uh -uh, Barclays is the worst. And I'm in the process of changing to a different bank account. Um, mm -hmm. But I still have to get everything moved over. But, um, yeah, and it'll give you options for different banks that don't, um, invest in the fossil fuel industry because basically that's a small thing you can do it doesn't cost any money to switch banks it's it's got this weird sort of anxiety around it but one bank's the same mm. as another you know your money's safe pretty much um, as far as mm. I'm aware and <laughs> whatever bank it's in but yeah. it's got this weird sort of psychology around it so it is a bit of a, a leap moving your it's like your little nut stash or something if you're a squirrel moving it feels <laughs> a bit weird but really it isn't you can just do it and it's fine and yeah and basically once banks start to realize that people are moving their money because they don't want their money or their debt if you know if you've got debt that still counts as money in its crazy financial way and it's yeah that will be invested in fossil fuels um through a lot of the high street banks so there's loads of options like co-op and nationwide um mm. and triodos who, who don't invest in fossil fuels and it's not only fossil fuels it's like arms and mm like as in weapons not arms as in arms mm. um and <laughs> yeah all sorts of horrible things that that money's invested in that you really wouldn't do if it was up to you so um so yeah switch it dot money that's mm -hmm. a great place to start to start the journey of, of switching uh your finance also make my money matter is for the same thing for pensions so if you mm -hmm. are one of the people who has a pension that's a good place to go Definitely. Um, my recommendation this time is a bit of a departure. Um, I'm quite a big sport fan. And um, just recently, the BBC website launched a series of articles, interviews and features under the banner 2050 Future News from a Warmer World. Mm. And sport, 
a bit like music culture, I think, has an incredible potential ability to communicate the urgency of the climate problem. And basically, I don't want football or cricket or winter sports or any of those things that I might love to be any different than they are now. Mm. Um, and there's some really striking predictions in, in, in this set of um, content from the BBC. Things like talking about cricket having to be played underneath a dome to protect the players in 30 years time or football being split into lots of shorter sections so that people avoid kind of heat exhaustion and things like that it's quite startling when you go through mm. some of this um, material um, they've got some great interviews in there as well with some really influential names um, so do check it out search BBC Sport 2050 to find all of that it really got me thinking that if anybody wants to do something similar for music um, to put together a set of predictions about what different parts of the music industry might look look like in 2050 get in touch i'd love to work on a research project like that um we are sounds like a plan podcast at gmail.com that's it Faye. that's it for this episode that is it for this first series of sounds like a plan um i want to say thank you to you um thanks for so much for being here um every week on the podcast to talk to our guests as well so much amazing insight and brilliant work that you do with music declares emergency um and also thank you so much to everyone listening and we will hopefully be back with you soon Thanks for streaming this episode of Sounds Like a Plan. Faye Milton was your host along with me, Greg Cochran. The podcast is made by New Allotment. You can find out more about them at newallotment.com. The series has been edited by Emma Snook. The artwork and co-production was by Stuart Stubbs and our theme music was created by lightandthunder.com. Until the next time we're together, thank you for listening.